0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Where Credits Do. I'm your host, Yulia Chutina, senior reporter at Tearsheet. Today, we'll be talking about how banks are digitizing their commercial lending operations. If consumer lines do the front seat when it comes to innovation and digitization, commercial lines have been waiting quietly in the backseat, but they're now next to be brought forward with the latest technologies and underwriting efficiencies. However, it's not easy to implement this change into age-old processes, and partnerships are turning out to be key here, which is why we also explore how software vendors are helping banks and credit unions to widen their lending offering to more businesses in the U.S. My guests today are Dan O'Malley, CEO of Numerated, a -a software-as-a-service digital loan origination system, and Peter Grant, the president of Oak North which aims to transform commercial lending with its credit intelligence software product. Both guests had some really awesome insights and I can't wait for you to listen. So let's hop right in. Welcome uh, to the Where Credits Do podcast. Excited to have you both here to talk about how banks are digitizing their commercial lending operations and also to explore how software vendors are helping banks and credit unions to widen then their lending offering to more businesses in the US. Um, And I'd like to start with um, kind of a retrospective analysis of how both of you see uh, the digital commercial lending landscape changing after the pandemic. So um, Dan, if you wanna start first.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, what it means to digitize lending is is a bunch of different things. The probably the two that I would highlight have moved during and because of COVID are uh, the engagement model with customers, where everybody was really forced to use digital channels for you know the better part of a year and a half, um, and then the expectations for efficiency for commercial lending, where you know when you do like a year's worth of loans in about a month or two because of the PPP program, which is what most banks experienced your eyes are open to, man, maybe we can do this lending thing a little more efficiently. And so, you know, to me, those are the two big areas, Uh, again, really driven by, these were trends that were happening before COVID, right? I mean, digitization of the customer experience was obviously taking place in all sectors and also obviously accelerated across every industry in the U.S. Um, And similar with efficiency, banks have been getting more efficient, for decades and efficiency ratios for good banks are now in the 40s and they should be for everybody and so this is just adding more pressure to what was already a secular trend
2: yeah no i agree with dan it's it certainly highlighted some deficiencies in commercial lending compared to its peers in the consumer market and also it's a shock event so something we hadn't seen for 100 years and i think what also highlighted into the regulators as well was a forward look The ability to look forward and then have the granularity to see the differences between certain businesses that may share the same NAICS code. So a good example would be restaurants whereby the restaurant and hospitality sector in general took a really bad hit through COVID. But that wasn't necessarily so for some types of businesses. So, you know, a Michelin-style restaurant didn't do particularly well in COVID. Fast food restaurant rushed off their feet. Coming out of COVID now, I'm hearing some of the food fast, some of the fast food restaurants are struggling to keep the numbers that they used to have uh, during during the pandemic. So I think that's one particular area. I think also, you know, the, the regulators have, have lent into the banks as well about this forward look and and really stress testing and giving vulnerability ratings uh, to their book as well in in detail they've not seen before. And I think the third thing to add is. You know, we haven't seen this in a credit cycle and also, you know, what's coming around the corner as well. This is being a good training ground for what may come ahead with high inflation rates, interest rates and everything else as well for some of the younger underwriters.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's going to be we're going to touch upon that a bit later on these macroeconomic trends and how that will impact the industry. Um, but kind of going back to, you know, this post-pandemic rise in demand for more digital solutions, I'm wondering what is your take on, you know, how there's been a lot of talk about going digital, but what does that actually mean in real terms? Because there's a lot of processes involved there. So how do you think banks can upgrade their commercial lending infrastructure?
2: There's so much about it, as I was saying to you at the beginning, that um I've just been to Hawaii to the WBA. I've just been to Texas to the RMA. I've also been to the Mid Bankers Association. The TBA is happening this week, and every conference starts with we need to change, we need to transform. We're going through a Darwinian event. There were 16,000 banks, you know, 30 years ago. There are now about four, just over 4,000 banks um, here in the U.S. And a lot of that's driven by uh, digitization. A lot of it's driven by alternate type of lending, uh, like the fintechs are very competitive out there. Uh, in this space, you know, from our view as a fintech, we see ourselves as a partner to the banks to help them digitize, but really it's a data and, and the prioritization of the projects that uh, banks are looking at, at the moment so you know some of our customers some of the bigger ones I'd argue who have gone through transformations already. Can get data out of their systems quite quickly some of the mid to smaller size banks they do struggle they're still using excel or or paper uh, based processes which makes it really difficult for unstructured data to get out to start their digitization projects and i think also you know they're struggling to see which ones we should prioritize which we should do first and to dan's point at the beginning it's all about improving the efficiency and that customer journey and having that consumerization effect that you have in, in outside the sort of commercial lending space, but that's what you want to bring into uh, really into the business space. So again, it's prioritization because there's so many projects going on. So having the right people. It's getting access to the data, and then it's really um, making sure you can re- most importantly improve
1: the customer experience. Yeah. So we, um, I feel like I've been asked this question, what is what is digitizing lending really mean about like a hundred thousand times, and uh, I'll tell you my answer today, and maybe it changes over time. So. Um, there's so many ways in the course of doing a commercial loan, which is long, complicated. Sometimes you might have literally 50 people involved in the loan. There's so many ways that data and process can flow out of a digital system. Right. And, And then all of a sudden you're screwed, to be honest, like, you gotta keep track of things in multiple places. You've got data over here and data over there. And so to me, like the, the end result of a full digital transformation process is you've got one set of rails for data and it all comes into the same place and now it can all be reused. And like we talk about stair steps of digital transformation, that's all the way at the end. It's pretty hard to get there actually and eliminate all of those ways where loans can go off the rails. Very few banks have done that for all of their loans. Um, and so really, if you're a bank going through digital transformation, you have to ask what's the most important. Am I trying to fix like a particular off ramp that where the loan goes away for all of my loans? Or am I trying to say like, okay, these four loans, like for God's sakes, these have to be all digital. And then you can kind of go product by product. And so we see banks taking different paths and which one is right for a particular bank depends on where you're at. If you've got a really terrible underwriting process. You know, maybe you need to dig in there and fix that for all your loans. Um, If you need to be highly competitive with fintechs, well, you gotta be digital all the way through. And so pick the five you need to be most competitive on, go deep on those. So that's how we see it. Could be right, could be wrong.
0: Right, and um, kind of delving a little bit more through this fintech partnership route. um, I'm wondering what kind of digital lending tools and capabilities can help banks find um, through vendors? Uh, So how can these improve underwriting and help them with reaching more customers?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot in that question. Um, you know, I'll say where I think there is most intense interest today. And again, this kind of changes depending on what the problem is the next to we'll solve. So um, I do think rethinking underwriting now is getting a fresh look and amazingly kind of across all Credits, all credit types, from the tiny ones that should just be fully automated to like a larger commercial loan where, you know, it, it's it's going to be a person doing the work, but that person now expects help. And, you know, an ML based solution like Oak North is really going to help you dig in there and, and find your areas of weakness. And so um, it's kind of amazing to me. Um, you know, when I started working on digitizing business lending, God, it was almost 70 years ago now. Like, I mean, I, I got called the heretic. I got called. Uh, I got called unethical once because I wanted to make the lending process easier for a business by using technology. And uh, underwriters were just dug in. And you compare that to like, you know, uh, last week's RMA conference where there was this openness from under, it was an underwriting conference and everybody was looking for solutions. Right. And so I think that is maybe the most uh, pleasantly surprising thing to me on where banks are digging. Yeah, I
2: agree with Dan. And I think, you know. If you look at technology layers, so you look at the infrastructure layer, middle layer, and obviously the UI layer and what to, uh, companies are out there dan's absolutely right you, the the fintechs don't have a brownfield site they have a greenfield site they can move really quickly they're very nimble they have access to capital they can improve that customer experience we were talking about before so the so the big banks now need to make a decision they're going to the cloud first of all most of them are thankfully because of salesforce and Sino, um, etc but that's really the infrastructure layer whether it be on google amazon um uh, or, or AWS type cloud. Then you've got your, your middle layer, which is where basically your plumbing for your applications. But then you've got your top layer, which is your enumerated, your your own North of this world, your Encinos, your LOS systems and, and everything else as well. And banks are still grappling with that, what, what they need to do and where they fit into the process, because there's a huge change management that needs to happen as well. So it's not just really the investment in the technology, but it's the investment in the people. And to Dan's point about the WBA, sorry, the, the um, RMA last week, Again, you need to be attracting the type of people that fintechs have as well. It's not just the technology. It's the people that you're bringing into the organization that understand how to use the technology and get the benefits from it that then permeate down to, obviously, the efficiencies that we were talking about before. So it's it's a big thing for people to bite off, yeah, and they do need to bring in some expertise to do it. Um, And in their own words, they do need to bring some younger blood into the organization who expect to use these type of tools Because remember, in my days when I was at Salesforce, it was actually a recruiting tool. You wanted to go and work at a company that used Salesforce. And you're seeing that now with Numerated, with Oak North, with Encino, um, etc.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a huge talent and culture component that goes into this whole equation as well. And the fresh mentality that you were talking about, I think, is appreciated, especially when a bank collaborates with the fintech. But this partnership route is still something relatively new for the industry. So what makes a good partnership between a bank and a software vendor? What are some of the other factors that can yield a successful outcome?
2: I think openness is really important. And that maybe sound like a flippant answer. But banks historically have uh, always lent towards building their own technology as opposed to buying or certainly partnering with the fintechs. Um, and not all fintechs are out there to eat their lunch you know we're not we're not a lender here in the us but we're we're a tech company we help to support our mission which is basically liberating the missing middle and and uh giving you know access to capital for entrepreneurs that deserve it now to do that we use all the mechanisms of machine learning the forward look and everything else as well but Abhorrently, banks sometimes say, well, I'm going to build that myself. I'm going to do that myself. Certainly the bigger banks say that. And then, I'm you know, I was at a conference recently where we were talking about climate and this banker said, well, why do I need to do that, right? The regulator is such a pain, such a cost for the bank. I need to go and hire 10 new people to go and give me you know, all the data I need for climate. Why is that the mentality instead of saying, okay, who out there has already provided a solution? Who's using something that's successful that can actually help me ramp up and be successful? Because at the end of the day, the bank's product is lending money And really liberating and driving businesses or um, your personal loans, mortgages, whatever it may be. It's how you get access to that capital and fair decisions. That's the most important thing the banks are providing. And the technology helps them do that. So it's it's really changing their mindset, you know, and uh, going from a build um, to a buy type mentality.
1: Uh, I agree with a ton of what Peter just said. And, you know, my perspective would be alignment of vision for what company the fintech is trying to do, and then kind of what the bank wants, um, you know, funny story on this, I was sitting with a chief digital officer of a $10 billion bank at a conference a couple weeks ago, and uh, she's kind of given me making fun of uh, fintech's kind of a hard time and saying like, "I, I guys, I don't want to hear about your roadmap. Um, and uh, she was making fun of like, you know, we're all trying to build lots of stuff and she doesn't care right now about what's not built, she only cares about what's built. Um, And my response to her was, I understand your point, but I think you really do care about my roadmap, maybe more than anything else, because my roadmap is the problem, the big problem I'm trying to solve and where I'm trying to take the company. And you should either hear the vision, and our vision is transforming how banks lend to businesses, transforming, not making it a little bit better, not tweaking it, not being a platform for, I don't know, getting your data to sit there. We will change how you lend. And so you either hear that and go, man, I got to do that too. That is my big thing. Or you're like, I don't know. Do I need to transform? It sounds big and expensive. And then we're not. Numerate is not for you, if that's that's your response. So that alignment of vision, because we're going to work together for a long time, if this works well, we've got to be aligned on that.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Dan. And, And, you know, actually... to to add to that is fifth third are a really good example of a bank that we partner with on climate climate is such a nascent market at the moment we're all finding our feet on what methodologies and frameworks and ratings that we need but fifth Third, we we sit on their uh, internal climate committee you know as a vendor that's pretty unique so we hear everything that's going on but also we're building the product and partnering alongside them as well because we share the same vision to Dan's point. And you know, that's so important, executive level, that they understand your vision, where you're going, and they're part of that. Um, and you go on that journey together.
0: So let's say that everybody's on the same page, and there's an alignment of the vision and strategy, and a partnership is formed. What are some of the challenges that might arise along the way?
2: Interestingly, it takes a while before the banks actually make a decision. So during that journey, you do get to know your customer pretty well. Um, The important thing is the old way of selling tech was you sold top down. And you basically went into the boardroom, you sold them an amazing ROI, an amazing vision, they bought the product, and lo and behold, they tried to deploy it, and lots of the end users wouldn't use that particular product. So you need to make sure during that journey that when you do have the executive alignment and buy-in and the vision and what you're trying to achieve, you know the, the, the ultimate ROI for the product. But you also need to bring the users on the journey with you you know, and you need to bring the customer's customer on the journey as well to make sure that everything's in lockstep. And the reason why I highlight it it takes a long time because you need to build trust with the customer. So things are going to go wrong. They always go wrong, right? Whether it be getting data out of your systems, whether it be a certain individual on the project that's not pulling their weight, you know, in the boat, whatever it may be, you know, you need the ability to be able to fix that and go to the top and get things fixed or get with the end users and have the trust where they can share things with you so you can understand what you're developing and what you're building to make sure you're deploying something that is going to get used it does have value and does have an roi um, as a as a particular pro- uh, product so bringing on the journey is really important sharing your best practices that's that's probably one of the biggest lessons that i've learned since i've been at open North for the last couple of years so the banks often won't do things individually so they like to see what other banks are doing they you know operate in herds want a better expression but they like to talk to each other. Right. And then I couldn't highlight that more than with climate. Sorry to harp on about that again. But we formed a consortium back in February last year. We had, I think, 13 banks attend. We reran it, sorry, excuse me, September last year. We reran it again in February this year. We had nearly 30 banks attend, $14 trillion of assets under management. The number one reason they attended was to listen to each other. So now we put them into breakout groups and we solve specific problems in the underwriting process that relate to climate, and they can all hear from each other what each bank is doing, and then determine what the best practice um, should be for that particular bank. And I think the final thing is you need to speak their language. You know, Dan's been at this quite some time now, enumerated, We've been at this for seven years with our own bank in the UK. We've gone from zero to $10 billion learned, some of the best financial metrics uh, in the banking industry. Um, I'm quite unique in Oak North and I'm one of the tech people, but the majority of people are credit specialists, they're underwriters, they're ex-bankers. So we walk and talk and we look like a bank um, and we're sympathetic to where the bank is and hopefully that gives an empathetic approach uh, to any of the projects we're uh, embarking on.
1: I think um, Peter's comments about how kind of work can go off the rails, even 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 after everybody gets excited on the alignment and the vision, uh, 100% right. Um, you know, my opinion, organ rejection uh, can happen for, for two reasons, maybe one good, one bad. The good one is like other things pop up and you just have to deal with it. Like, you know, the, the thing that you're working on is not always top of the stack and sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. And you got to, be able to bob and weave a little bit with your partner and not feel bad when they come to you and say like, we just had an acquisition fall into our lap. We got to go heads down in this. So we're going to stay here in the project. And then these next milestones, like we're going to delay it by six months. Like it happens, it's not the end of the world and you got a partner so they will open up to you and say those things. Um, <clears throat> I'd say the, the bad reason uh, for you know things to go off the rails is mostly just having to do with culture you know, whenever you're doing digital transformation work with the bank, cultural transformation is coming along with it, whether that is an explicit thing or not. And so in um, and, and, you know, honestly, you're not really in control of that as as the partner. It's the bank that is. And you just got to be talking a lot you know, where the points of friction are so that together you can figure out that some of it, you know, hey, we're, we're trying to do transformation of, you know, frontline retail bankers, right? And that that's where we're trying to drive volume in this particular, part. okay, great. Like, here's what's worked for our other clients. You need to do a lunch, you need to bring your three best performing bankers, they need to come and tell their stories, and you need to publish a leaderboard of everybody else who's not performing at that meeting and then every week afterwards. Oh, okay, that that sounds great. Great, let's do that together. And then afterwards, you'll see that your cultural transformation starts to happen more quickly.
0: That's really great. And I'm sure that can have positive externalities on the bank itself as well, bringing that level of cooperation with different teams and companies. So we've talked about the digital lending landscape, partnerships, and now I'd like to delve into the innovation part. That's happening in the space, Dan. You mentioned that there's so much change happening. So, how is underwriting changing?
1: I mean, my opinions, and there's there's probably there's a lot of opinions and maybe a few facts um, because so much is changing. You know, I think my opinion. I think uh, we're gonna see that banks are more open to you know real like cash flow underwriting as opposed to you know spreading last year's financials and expecting next year is going to be the same. Seems like next year has not been the same for a couple of years now. Maybe we should just accept that. Um, and so, you know, we are seeing that transition start to happen. I thought that was going to happen seven, eight years ago. When we first got working at Enumerated and it uh, it is only happening now. So, you know, I think that is, uh, that is happening. The other thing I think we're finally starting to see, however you're, doing the, uh, the style of underwriting, cash flow, you know, financial spreading, whatever. We're seeing a belief that models actually matter. Um, and it's not just art. There's as much or more science and not just for like $10,000 credits, but for bigger ones. And um, I'm an ex-Capital One guy. Like I built a lot of models. I'm a data scientist by training. Like models matter. They really do. And um, and even if you're not always making a hundred percent of the decision with a model, why not let it help you? You know, why not let it raise the questions that you should have to answer? Um, and I think that's just a beautiful thing. And I'm happy to be sitting here in 2022 to watch that happen.
2: Yeah, I concur with Dan. And I think the one thing we didn't address is actually people and talent and where you get people from and where digitization and ML actually helps you. We're talking about man and machine, or is that politically correct, Eula, person and machine, um, together to make decisions. Um, you can't be a complete black box. You need to be a glass box in effectively what you're doing. But every conference I've gone to in the last month, everybody said, where do we get these people from? They're really struggling with uh, the great resignation, where people are going, trying to hire people. And that's actually helps accelerate digitization, along with the pandemic, which highlighted some of the weaknesses and the ability then for banks to change their behaviors i.e., like working from home using zooms um you know using modern technology and everything else so that's all a good thing the difficult thing is how do you find the people the good thing is through digitization you don't need necessarily as many people so you still have the same people but you can deploy them to do more human orientated tasks to drive you know better efficiencies in the bank as well so just need to put your thinking cap on and uh, really get your head around that and uh, and plot out your vision of what you're trying to do with your vendors
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. Talent has been an issue in the banking sector, given all these digital developments that are going on. And, you know, on one hand, you have consumer expectations, but now we also see employee expectations as well in this whole uh, digital phenomenon. Um, But given that we're getting close to the end of our episode here, I'd like to touch on the macroeconomic headwinds that we're seeing right now which obviously have a huge impact on the lending industry. So who do you think is going to be better equipped to weather the storm? And how important is it to be digital today? So,
2: so I think it's really important to be digital. The, the regu- regulators were saying last week that you, around, we need to be able to look around the corner now. So there's unpleasant things are coming. And worse still, most of your banks have not been through this cycle. Some of yours, more senior credit officers, would have been through it, but your junior underwriters have only seen a really good credit cycle. But we're looking at a downturn. So they're basically saying you need to start stress testing with a forward look on macro um, economic factors that are coming, like interest rates, labor arbitrage, inflation, everything else as well, what's going on with the Ukrainian war, how that's affecting supply chains. So I think the banks, to your question specifically, Julia are more suited to this because they have higher capital reserves and say some of the fintechs, but the fintechs are more nimble. They react much quicker. And one of the things that digitization does give you is speed, you know, there's an old saying, I think Benioff said it, the new, the new currency in business is speed. um, And it's ability to change fast with the new credit cycles. And to what Dan was saying, you know, we're not just talking about hundred K credits here. We're talking about hundred K and I'm even hearing above that for automated type decisions, um, which I think, again, helps you uh, compete in a, what's going to be a quite a difficult market space over the next one to two years.
1: I kind of agree across the board. I mean, I, I think we'll just see differences by type, I think, in the fintech space. Um, what you'll find is there's going to be fintechs who figure out how to lend through this cycle. Um, that happens every cycle. There's always a fintech that just like, picks up a massive amount of ground in downturns right and uh including back in the gfc uh where things got bad a bunch of fintechs leapt through that they had dry powder and they killed it and so remains to be seen who's going to take that crown uh this next time around don't know Uh, but i would expect to see a couple winners get born um and i expect a bunch of fintechs to go out of business because of capital costs for sure without a doubt um, you know, on the bank side, I do I do think speed and agility are going to again be put on display as they were in COVID. Right, banks who were nimble and quick and agile, like they picked up ground, they up a lot of ground. Um, and then banks who didn't suffered. And so I think we'll again see how much work has been done in the last two years, and who can be nimble uh, through the next downturn. You know, whether that starts in six months or three years.
2: Yeah. And I I also think I think in the US, three to 4% of the banking landscape disappears every year. That will accelerate.
0: This was Dan O'Malley, CEO of Numerated, and Peter Grant, the president of Oak North. To read the transcript of our conversation, head over to tearsheet.co and make sure you subscribe to Where Credits Do wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be out with a new episode every two weeks bringing you conversations with industry leaders on the ever-changing lending landscape. And if you're interested in more content, you can subscribe to our lending newsletter and briefing in your inbox every other week. Thanks for listening and see you at the next one.